Hey, this is Abby Sachek. Welcome to the New Culture Church podcast. Our vision is to create the culture of Christ in Madison, one person, one place at a time. We believe this happens through being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what he did. And we hope that the teachings and the content you find here will help you do just that. We also know that these are trying times. So if you need anything at all, please reach out to us through our website. We would love to connect with you. We hope you enjoy this podcast. the 
So what that meant is that when you were a disciple and learning from a teacher, a rabbi, that you were supposed to walk so close to them and, and picture kind of the setting there, right, where they're walking outside on these dirt roads. They didn't have these nice fancy sidewalks that we have. You were supposed to be walking so close next to them that the, you were going to be covered in their dust, completely covered in the dust from walking that close with them. And so when Jesus called these men to follow him, he called his disciples, and even when he's inviting us today, calling us to be his disciples, it's so that we are so close to him that we are covered in the dust as he is walking. And so um, then we go on to see that after he sends them out, then they're gathered again, and you see the, the story of Jesus feeding 5,000. And one of the cool things about this story is, is we see how Jesus and our God that we serve is a show-and-tell kind of God. He's not just someone that's going to tell you about all this stuff, but he's going to show it to you. He's going to demonstrate in word and in wonder and in power. And so we see this when he did the miracle of feeding the 5,000. And it says here that he let the disciples be the one to actually pass out the food and hand it out. So they got to experience the miracle with Jesus. They got to be a part of performing that miracle, which is so cool. And then what you see in, in this chapter as well is this section that says, Peter declares Jesus is the Messiah. Peter declares Jesus is the Messiah. So you see that in verse 18, that it says Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But who do you say I am? He asked. And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Now, I want to kind of point this all out before we get into our actual text today. Because again, I think it's cool that we're seeing here that Jesus sends out the 12, and then he, he shows them and lets them be a part of the miracle. But then it's showing that it was after that that Peter declares him as Christ. Now that's fascinating to me, because it's showing us that, that Jesus kind of method in his model of discipleship for us, that, that he's going to let us be with him, that he's going to let us experience him long before we may ever fully surrender our lives to him. And, and this is important for us to then see, because if we are then to go and to make disciples like Jesus told us to do in his great commission, that then we have to see, too, that we're going to want to get close to people, and we're going to want to allow people to get so close to us that, that are, they're going to be covered in our dust, maybe long before they ever fully surrender their life to Jesus. But discipleship is going to start way before people ever fully surrender and declare Jesus as their Christ. So we see this, that that's what Jesus was doing with his disciples, that he first was just calling them to be, then he was inviting them to, to become like him, to perform these miracles, and then sending them out to do what he did. So now, we're in Luke chapter 10, and he's talking to the 72, this other group of people that were following him. And we're going to go verse by verse today to talk about what Jesus was sending them to do. So what is the way of the sent ones? When we have a relationship with Jesus, and we're in the process of becoming like him, we've surrendered our lives to him, we have a mission to fulfill, to continue to go and to make disciples, but what do we do? How do we live as the sent ones? Um, so the first verse that we're going to read here, in Luke chapter 10, we're going to be reading 1 through 14, it says this, verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed the 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place he was about to go. So we're going to break it down in a couple of different ways today. We're going to talk about the cost of the way and the risk of the way and the worth of the way of the sent ones. So the first thing that we see here is the cost 
is that the way of the seven ones is the way of going. It's the way of actually going. It says that he sent them two by two and that they had to leave. Now, right in the verses, right before this, I'm going to read in verse Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, it says this. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lie his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back. Let me say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, this text is a little hard to swallow. We read that and we're like, wait a second. So Jesus is telling them, follow me and don't look back. Follow me. You can't go bury your father. Follow me. You can't say goodbye. Follow me and don't look back. You see, the way of the set ones is the way of going. And you know that when you go to one place, you leave another place behind. Now, that's a pretty easy concept that we can grasp, right? Like, when you left, you, when you came to go to church day, you left your house. Well, when you came into this room, you left the hallway, right? If we're going to go places, that means we're going to have to leave other things behind. And so the invitation for us to follow Jesus, to follow his way, and to be a part of his kingdom and help other people experience it, is also going to require us leaving some things behind as we go. Now, this isn't some sort of bait and switch thing that Jesus was trying to do with that. He was trying to make it very clear that what I'm asking you to do is going to cost you something. What I'm asking you to do is going to require you to leave some things behind. And these aren't easy things to say that I want you to not have to go say goodbye to your family, but to just, just leave anyways, right? But Jesus is saying these things that he wants them to understand that he has to be first. Not that they can't love their families, they can't care for the people around them, but that he has to be first. He has to be everything to them. But here's what I love about this. Is it says that Jesus was going to go there also. You see, Jesus isn't sending us places that he's not going to come and meet us there. Jesus doesn't hang you out to drop. He's not going to ask you to go somewhere that he isn't willing to go himself, right? And, and he's, he's showing us the heart of our Father, the heart of God in that. Because Jesus was a sent one. He left heaven so he could come down to earth, so that he could go and be with us, and we could experience him up, person, up close and personally. Jesus was a sent one. So he's not talking from a place that he doesn't know about. And that's the goodness of the God that we serve in Jesus in the way that we follow him. The next verse, it says in verse 2, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. You see, so many times, I think that we come into these spaces, and, and we, because of verses like this, we, we say, God, will you send us the harvest? God, will you give us your goodness? Will you give us your love? He did. He gave us Jesus. Right? Jesus came, we have Jesus, we have access to all power, to all the glory, to the kingdom of God. The kingdom is here and now. So the way of the sent one is the way of working in the field that is here and now. And I realized, I think one of those slides comes up, I have a typo, so sorry about that. It's the here and now, not the where and now, which is what I think the slide says. 
Um, but, but it's a here and now. So when Jesus came and he left heaven to come down to earth, he brought us the, the fullness of the kingdom. It's here and it's now and it's also this not yet. And that's a whole other sermon for another day that we don't have time to get into. But I want you to understand today that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So what does that mean? I was thinking back to when I was little, we would have this one claw machine at the Walmart that was closest to our house. That was always filled with these carrots. And if you ever played a claw machine, normally it's like your parents as a kid never let you play because you're like, you're never gonna win. Like it doesn't work like that. You just it's just gonna take all your money over and over again. But this one claw machine, I'm not kidding you, it was like every time you put your 50 cents in, you want a carrot. Every time. So what did we do as kids? We knew like anytime we got a lot of ones, it was like, Mom, can we go to Walmart? Can we play the same claw machine, get the same parrot every single week? We would do these garage sales in the summer and we'd go and we'd want to play that claw machine because we knew we would win every time. There was this confidence to it because we knew like we're gonna win. And I think sometimes when it comes to us being followers of Jesus, we don't have that same kind of confidence and we don't walk in that way because we're saying, God, we need you to bring the harvest. God, we need you to do the work. And he's like, I have, I did. The harvest is plentiful. I just need you to go and get it, right? I need you to actually go and, and to reap that harvest and to start grabbing the crop that's already there. You see, the harvest is here and now. And sometimes the best thing that we can do is be an answer to that prayer and start laboring in the fields. Now, this word worker, it really is closely, closely tied to that word labor, and depending on the translation you have, it might say the workers are few or the laborers are few. But I want you to think about that word labor. Like, to labor is hard. To labor means you have to, like, do something. It's an active word. And so sometimes we can find ourselves in these places where we just want to pray and pray and pray for God to send us the harvest. But the reality is that each and every one of you today, you are placed in different fields, where God has for generations been planting seeds. For generations, he's been working and he's been moving and he's looking for people that are willing to then go and to reap that harvest. Yeah. We talk about here that, that our vision is to create the culture of Christ and we believe that's gonna happen one person through each and every one of you in one place at a time. Man, where's your work? Where do you go to class? Where do you lay your head? That is your place. That is your field. That is where the harvest is plentiful. And God wants you to start laboring. He wants you to start walking in there knowing that he has already won. He's already gone before you. He's going to come after you and do what he's going to do. So will you be willing to go? Will you be willing to live as one of the set ones in that type of way? I love 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Where it says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. You see, the kingdom that we're living for, the glory that we're living for, it is worth it. It is worth it. We have this promised hope. We have this promised future in Jesus. And, and what I love is, is that when we talk about um, what kind of comes after this, when Jesus is telling them to take nothing with them. Do you know that when you're gone for just a little bit of time and you're traveling, you know you don't need to take that much stuff because you're not home, but you're going home soon? Man, that's how we're supposed to live as dead ones, to know that this is not our home, that, that we were not created to live here forever. 
And so that gives us this type of freedom to say we're going to labor and we're going to continue to put in the work and we're going to reap that harvest because we know that this isn't our home. So the next thing that we see is it says, go, in verse 3, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. And this is exactly it. This is the way of relying on nothing but the harvest. Nothing but the harvest. You see, God has already given us everything that we need through the power of his Holy Spirit, that we can access him to the fullness, and so we can rely on nothing but that. But I want to talk about real quick this whole lambs and wolves things, because sometimes we can just glance over that. It's like, what are you talking about here? So when you think about a lamb, a lamb is quite gentle, like soft, like you think of, of something that's more approachable. And wolves are a little more scary, are things that are not going to be as approachable. And so when we're talking about lambs among wolves, I think it's important for us to look at why would, why would Jesus say this to them? I think it might be him telling us that we are to, to go out like we are lambs. We are to go out like we are humble. We are to go out like we are approachable. We are to go out inviting. Like if I see a lamb, I'm going to be much more willing to go try and like pet that lamb, be with that lamb, than I am a wolf. Like I'm just not going to go near a wolf if I ever were to run into one in my life. But, but to say that among wolves, it's almost like he's cueing us to be like, but be aware. Right? Be aware of the risk. Be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of what's happening. Be aware that maybe not everybody is going to be for your good. And so this idea of us going among as lambs among wolves is this idea of we still in all ways as followers of Jesus, you know, we need to be approachable to people. We need to be welcoming to people. I think about that all the time. The Lord has continued to bring that up in my life is saying, man, would, they, would any person feel comfortable talking to me by the way that I talk, by the way that I dress, by the way that I act? Are we approachable to people? But yet, are we aware of our surroundings at the same time? So another thing that I kind of got into earlier, though, the same line on nothing but the harvest. And when he's saying, don't take any possessions with you. So later in Luke chapter 22, we see um, that Jesus does tell them to prepare more for their journey. And this is a different type of journey that they're going on. And, and at that point, he's training them for a more long, longer thing. And so what I want us to get here is that it's not so much of like, well, do I have possessions? Do I not have possessions? What do I do with this? It's more of a matter of does what you possess possess you? That's more of what we're asking here, right? It's Jesus is wanting to make sure that they know that the things that you have, right, the clothes on your back, the food that you eat, what you possess should not possess you. It always needs to be Jesus that is fully in control. And this is why, like, as a church, we have what we call a rule of life, which is a way that we're committed to living to, these practices to help us become like Jesus. And one of them there is, is to have just regular times of fasting as the followers of Jesus. And that's one of the ways, reasons that we fast sometimes is to just retrain our flesh, to rely on nothing, absolutely nothing but Jesus, right? Like I need a regular time in my life where I'm, I'm fasting from purchasing things, I'm fasting from eating, I'm fasting from all of those things to remind my flesh that I'm not possessed by what possesses, but I'm not going to be possessed by my possessions. In verse 5, it continues and it says, when you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. So now we're going kind of into more of like the risks 
of the way of the sentence here. So what we see here is he's telling them to go and, and to give the peace, and if the, the, the peace doesn't rest on them, it's going to come back to you, but to them to stay there, to stay there, to eat and drink whatever they're giving you. And so what we see here is the way of staying, which can be risky, and the way of receiving hospitality. And I'm going to kind of talk about these um, together just for the sake of time today. But I want to talk about the way of staying. Because I, I think what, what Jesus is pointing to is something that, again, he demonstrated, where he invited these disciples to be with him for this long period of time. And now he's telling them, when you go to their houses, even if they're not ready to receive what, what you're trying to give them, maybe, well, even if they're not ready for that, to just still stay there with them, to sit with them, to be with them. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. That's what he's sending the 72 out to do. That's what he's sending us out to do, is to say, will you go and will you stay with people? Will you be with them? And I, and I love this because it's pointing that it's not so much about always the outcome that we want to see, but are we willing to be obedient in that moment? And the next thing is this idea of receiving hospitality. So at that time, there would have been all of these cultural barriers around food. So food was closely tied to your religious beliefs. So if you were a part of this religion, you might not eat this. If you were a part of this religion, you wouldn't eat this and all this stuff, right? So when Jesus is saying, eat whatever is given to you, that's a big deal, right? I think about it in kind of my American context of I'm just thinking like, oh, don't be picky. But it's more than that here. It's more than just don't be picky. It's eat whatever is given to you. So he's saying we're going to cross some cultural barriers here for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of seeing my love on display. So that those people are saying, I care more about just sitting with you and being with you than I care about, about your religious beliefs in this moment because I'm not so concerned about this instant outcome, but about being obedient and letting the Holy Spirit do his work. So then the next thing in verse 9, we see, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So this goes back to this like show and tell God, right? Where he's saying the way of the set ones is the way of proclaiming the kingdom through both word and wonder, these miracles, right? It's going to be word and wonder. And if we're not careful, sometimes we can focus more on one than we do the other. And, and Jesus starts by telling them, heal. Like, heal the sick, do these miracles. And remember, he told his disciples earlier, where he said, you have all power and you have all authority to go and to do these things. When we are followers of Jesus, we have all power and all authority to do those things. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom of healing. And he wants us to give that to people and then to explain to them, like, what's happening? To then use the gift of our words to help show them, like, this is happening because of who Jesus is. This is happening because Jesus was raised back to life, and he left with us his Holy Spirit to empower us to go and to give you the peace that you long for, to give you the hope that you long for, to heal your sick, broken body. Jesus came to do that, to restore you. And so when we get to pray for people and see it done, and we get to explain to them what is happening. In verse 10, we see, but when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sada than that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. 
but it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. So the last thing we're going to talk about today is the way of responding to the way. The way of responding. So every time that I've read this scripture, I've kind of just skimmed over these cities because it didn't fully make sense to me. But after studying the cities that are mentioned here, where he's saying, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. It'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. See, all these cities that are mentioned were either sinning against God, but the last one that he's mentioning, they weren't sinning against God. The sin was that they had been ignoring God. The sin that had been taking place was that these cities were ignoring God. They were not responding to what God was asking them to do. I think sometimes we can think of sin and, and not living for Jesus as just being like, well, as long as I'm not doing that, I'm good. As long as I'm, I don't look like this, I'm good. Well, I'm not talking like that, so I must be good. But he's talking to cities that weren't doing, at that day and age, at that time, they weren't doing like the classic sinful thing. They were simply ignoring God. He's telling them that the sin that took place was that they were not responding to what God was doing. I'm going to invite the worship team if you guys want to come back up. As I was praying about this this week and even this morning, I was reminded of then how, how Jesus later in the scripture, he said this in this passage. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He is reminding them of the whole picture. That when he said in the beginning, I have given you power and authority, he meant it because he's talking not from a place of what is to come, but what has already happened. Yeah. He's saying, like, I have seen that Satan fell like lightning, like it's done, it is finished, that's the whole picture. So what you're seeing in this moment is just temporary, right? But what I see is the whole picture. And so I want to remind you then to not ignore what God is asking you to do. We are the sent ones. As followers of Jesus, we were created in his image to then bear his image. He has sent us to proclaim hope, to give peace. He's saying that we have peace to give, and I want you to hear this today. And he's saying, if you do not receive your peace. You see, when we ask Jesus in our hearts, and we surrender our lives to him fully, we receive his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit that gives us peace, he gives us comfort. In Philippians 4, 7, it refers to the peace of God which transcends all understanding, right? Like, that's the kind of peace we're talking about here that we have access to. That it's something that is saying, it does not make sense. But honestly, I kind of feel that with the way that I'm on, like, four hours of sleep after driving for 20 hours. I'm like, this doesn't make sense, but we're good. We're here. Like, God works in that kind of way. But this term peace is described in Scripture as a gift from God. And it's based on his character of who he is. God is peace. So it, it should be to know God is to know peace. And it's to be made in his image. We have access to this peace. That means that the closer we draw to him, the more that we experience that peace. And he gives us close instructions to do that in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you, gives you, I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So two things that I want us to process today. It's one, are there ways in your life that you have been ignoring the promptings of God? Right, when we're going back and we're saying the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Where has God 
placed you right now? Where is your place? And who are those people in that place that need to experience the peace of God, that need the hope of Jesus? And how, how are you praying for them? And how are you laboring for them? To know that we have access to the fullness of the kingdom, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of hope. May we not be people that stay stuck and don't release what God wants these people to experience. What would it look like if we started to live in that type of way where, where we knew every time that we went out that the Holy Spirit was moving and that we were winning, right? That we went with that type of confidence to say, God, you're here. Your Holy Spirit's been working before me. I now get to partner with you, and then I step aside and I let you do your thing. What does that look like for us? So are there ways that you have been ignoring those promptings? And he's saying, man, the harvest is plentiful, and I think people need to know me. People need to experience me, and that's why you're there. And then the next thing is, have you been ignoring God's promises? It says again that, that it's the peace of God that we're going to give to people. Do you know that you have access to his peace? Do you know that you have access to his kindness, to his grace, to his mercy? You see, there's nothing more that the devil wants than for us to forget that, for us to not know that. For us to walk in these situations feeling like we don't have what it takes, feeling like our words aren't going to be enough, feeling like we could never pray for someone and see them actually healed. Where do you need to be reminded of the promises of God that you already have everything that you need because of the power of his Holy Spirit to go and to be a sent one and to represent him and to make disciples? So we're just, I'm going to invite you guys to stand right now. And we're going to take time, and I ask them to just play for a few minutes and to just sing and to worship. And, and I just want to invite you to process that with the Lord um, and just begin to say, God, like, are there ways that I have been ignoring your promptings? And, and I do believe that there's going to be people and, and, and places that he starts to say, yes, you're here for a reason. Here's where I've been inviting you and remind you of that. Um, but we're going to sing this song, and we really are just going to invite the promise of God, His Holy Spirit, to come again. Because I believe that so much this morning, I felt that so heavy on my heart, that we just needed to be reminded of the promise that God has given to us through His Holy Spirit. That we can experience that. And then in a few minutes, I'm going to actually have us take time to pray for the harvest field that God has placed us in and to pray together for that. So we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come, and we're going to worship for these next few moments, and then we're going to close in prayer together. So God, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you, God, that you have sent us to go into these places and, and to make disciples, to help people experience your peace, your goodness, your kindness. And so Lord, would you just begin to speak to us in these moments and show us the ways, if there are ways that we have been ignoring your promptings, are there people that you place right in front of us that you're inviting us to give peace to, to give your peace to? And would you would you show us, God, right now, are there ways that we have been ignoring your promise? Have we been ignoring the things that you've already given us? And do we just need to be reminded of that? And so as we sing, Lord, I pray, would you just fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit again? Would you just fill us with what you have you've already given us so freely? And would you remind us of the promise? that comes with your Holy Spirit, God.
spirit, son of Jesus, who you sent down from heaven to earth to give us peace, to give us hope, to give us new life. God, we thank you now that through your Holy Spirit that you are sending us into the harvest fields to be your laborers, but God, to know that it is coming from a place of peace, that because we have received your Holy Spirit, God, because we have your Holy Spirit with us, that we can go and we can give peace and we can give hope to the people around us and we can help them to experience your kingdom that is here, that is now, and that is forevermore. So we thank you for that, Jesus, and I just pray for every single person in this room that your Holy Spirit truly will do the rest of them this week. God, that you would just open doors for conversations with people, that we would just be so aware of your presence, that we would not ignore, that we would not look away, but that, God, we would just give so freely what you have already given to us. God, would we give your peace, would we give your hope to every person that we see this week in our place, in our harvest field, Lord. So we thank you for this. We have confidence in your name.